All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Amen. Good to see you. My, my uh, calendar's a little goofy, but I think we, there's no Bible study next week or the next week. So the next two weeks, we traditionally don't on the other side of, on each side of Thanksgiving because people travel and want to be away and we don't have Sunday school teachers and all that. Is that correct? Is that right? Thank you. So you'll uh, be off for a couple weeks. When you come back, it'll be Advent and there will be uh, dinner and to Zay, as you know, so come along and bring your friends for that. Just questions about anything? Thanks for the thing with Peter. You know, the, uh, we're always trying, we've just gone through this with Nathan as well. Uh, we always want people to get better and we want to recognize it when they put in a lot of work. And uh, of course, Peter is a fabulous uh, musician, as is Nathan. And we're very privileged to have these guys here. So whatever we can do to make their lives a little easier is, is nice. So thanks for turning out. It was very nice that a bunch of you turned out for it. It's, uh, it's, it's really good. Just questions? He's not here today? He's sick today. Uh, he has what everybody who teaches, during the week he teaches at um, St. Peter Arlington Heights. First half of the week he teaches there, their kids. And if you ever met any kids, they like dribble from all their <laughs> open places and uh, Peter's got something, and here's the thing, when he has something, we don't want to be around him. We love him, but his wife is making him sleep on the floor in the living room, and we are too. So there you go. That's, that's all you need to know. We don't really want to be around him. All right, so, uh, you know, there some of you had said, you know, thanks, it was kind of nice to, to uh, dream back about things that were in the, were in the uh, past and how we got here. Now, I do, every once in a while, I do you know, look up at the ceiling like today, just before the vicar prayed at the end of the service. And you know, my, here I'm confessing my sin to you. I look up and said, you know, COVID was the perfect opportunity to paint that ceiling blue. <laughs> Nobody was here for, you know, a year. I mean, we could have done it with brushes in that time, but you know, so now it'll be Pastor Nelson's problem. So, uh, <laughs> This, I can't, you know, I, I never thought I would experience the kind of joy in saying that, which I actually do. <laughs> this has to be one of the most uh, beautiful bits of scripture. This is, I'm going back a couple of weeks and reading you just the initial bit that I have here. But I mean, this is sort of, you know, we've been looking at Philippians a little bit. We'll look at it again today, a couple of places. Paul was, you know, so battered in his life. And then there's some places where things actually worked. And Philippians, the church in Philippi was one of those places. And it's nice to see Paul's soft side come through, right? Um, he actually did things and it actually worked and everybody sort of agreed about it. And it's like when your kids, you know, finally reach the age of reason, which, you know, happens when they're, I don't know, 40, maybe 50. <laughs> and they agree with you about one or perhaps two things, and then you say to yourself, it was all worth it. Uh, hold on, it, it can happen, I promise you. So, uh, but I mean, you, you hear this in Paul, if then our common life in Christ yields anything. So if this means anything at all, like if this isn't just a head fake, if this matters, if our common life in Christ yields anything, fill up my cup of happiness by thinking and feeling alike, with the same love for one another, the same turn of mind, and a common care for unity. I've given that to you a couple of times in the past. It's not in the one for today, but just this, 
you know, this is Paul being an emo, it's, it's fabulous, right? So you look at that and you say, that's what you'd actually like. And when we think about who we want to be and why people don't join the church and why they do join the church and all the possibilities in between, this certainly has to be part of the equation that people see you and actually want to be like you or they want what you've got. And that's why it's incumbent on you to make the church a joyful place, you know, a supportive place. So I want to, I want to try to talk about that a little bit and, and see where that takes us. So the whole point of last week was that the church was built, you know, architecturally, physically in a way that was meant to draw people in. So I'm just, you know, I got only to sort of point number one, but, uh, you know, point number two, here we go, right? So my, my uh, you know, my simple diagnostic question to you is, when people look through the window, what do they see? Now pause. I just, here's my special, this is what I want for Christmas from the congregation, okay? I haven't done this often, but I'm going to ask now. If you're under 35 years old, um, when you have your coffee in the morning, stand by the window. That's what I want for Christmas. My kids are already getting me socks. Forget about that. <laughs> what I want from you is, if you're under 35, um, stand by the window. Because then all your under 35-ish friends will look through the window and go, it must be safe. You may mock me on this, but I tell you that it's true, right? We all do this. We eat in restaurants that are full, not empty, right? We listen to music that other people are listening to. And we move places where somebody else has already vetted it. It's one of the great discrepancies in our marriage. I won't tell you who does what, but one of us <laughs> is quite engaged on social media listening to the experts. <laughs> Others of us know that experts are people who went to Harvard. So there's the difference. I said I had to get a new dentist this week because my dentist retired and I said to her, you're, you're fabulous and I'm going to be the best patient you have because I went to pastor school and you went to tooth school, so that means in our relationship, I'm going to do what you say. You went to tooth school. She looked at me like, <laughs> but it's actually going to play out okay because if you went to tooth school, I'm going to do what you tell me, right? In the same way, you all went to church school. And if you get by the door and you say, this is all okay, I promise you, why? Because um, it's like the Holy Family sitting right here, right? And then I actually mean this more seriously than you think I do. This is as big a win as the church can have, right? And there are thousands and thousands of people who want this with that child on the way to baptism, right? You don't have to do anything. You just have to show up and act like not a normal human being, a Christian human being, right? So don't underestimate the fact that people are always watching, always listening, always hoping that they could find all the things that Paul is talking about here. And that, as I've confessed to you, you know, at point number two is the lure beauty and community and mercy and Christology. These are like, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 years ago, we said, you know, what are the things we'll focus on? These things will work. I'm not sure that 
This will be true for the next 15 years. But when I think about that, I say to myself, Pastor Nelson will have to worry about that. <laughs> right? But I ask you then, point three, you know, what do people need or what do people hope for? And I'll take a stab at it, right? One is holiness. Now, people are very impoverished in their idea of what holiness is. Holiness usually boils down to justice for themselves. So, you know, John Kleinig's great, you know, line, we want mercies for ourselves and justice for other people, right? But this is catechumenate yesterday, you know, the lead line, don't bury the lead, this is it. Holiness equals happiness. And that's what people don't understand. So, you know, they have this, like all sort of things that are written on our heart but obscured, there is this sense of, you know, justice for me is a diminished holiness for everybody. Read the first bit. I only read the first two lines this morning. I'm sure it's Gil Mylander. But read the first bit about love and divine love today. Everything else translates in that way. That our virtues are either diminished ideas of the divine virtues or rising up to the divine because Jesus has empowered us. So what's attractive to people? I think if you said to people, I would love the world to be holy, they would say, yeah, because in their mind, they think that means justice for themselves. But holiness has this idea of we're all justified, so we're all restored to God and to each other. It's a remarkable thing. I mean, just driving in this morning, have you noticed that nobody in Wheaton stops for a stop sign anymore? (laughs) This lady who's about 70, almost hit me the other day. She started honking about a hundred feet before and then she's waving at me like this. The only problem is she ran a stop sign while she was doing it. (laughs) Then she rolled her window down and apologized to me at the next stoplight, but I'm sure that was just to be sure that I wasn't gonna pop a couple of shots off in her direction. (laughs) So, you know, this is just an issue. But I think these these are things I think about coming to church. I'm like, why is it in Wheaton where everybody loves God and their neighbor they don't stop for stop signs anymore. Really? This is the craziest thing. You count on the way home. It won't be 50%. Lights are different, but signs? No. So what do people want? They want holiness in some sense. They also want order, right? And all sides of the political equation want the order, but they want the order they establish, which normally means they are folks in charge, right? But there is this God-created order. It's the very first thing he did. The world was formless and void, and the very first word of creation is to create order. We deeply, we deeply, deeply want order. Chaos makes us mad. Whether it is noise and never silence, or movement and never still, right? Chaos makes us crazy. So what, or safety. And I I had a long chat with John Kleining about this last year, about if we were going to add to the, to the list of beauty, community, mercy, and Christology, what would be the next thing that people would look for? John's vote was safety. He said, that's what, you know, that's what the world seeks most right now. I'm, I'm testing to see if that's actually true. So, you know, given that at least, when you think about the future and what the church should be and what sort of environment you have here and how we should act together and how you should act individually, and that cannot be disassociated from Jesus saying, in your going, make disciples. So what is it then what other people what is it then that other people need? You know, you get this text from Philippians one, which is, you know, glorious. 
right? This is my prayer. So I do want to observe that Paul's actually praying for his congregation. I, I think I told you I once said to somebody, um, uh, I wonder what the congregation would do if I, if I spend an hour or two every day praying for the congregation. I wonder if they'd consider that work. And the reply was, uh, well, you can, you can try that in retirement. Now, here's the thing. That tells you that's an evaluation of what prayer is, right? As opposed to if you go on retreat uh, to a monastery, for example, and you go to church eight times in a day, right? Prayer has a completely different meaning and feel. Everything else in the day is wrapped around the eight times you're going to pray, as opposed to we'll pray when we're not doing anything else. You just, just observe this. So Paul says, you know, this is my prayer. So I'm praying for you all the time. Um, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and insight. So those three things connected, love, knowledge, and insight. So that we may be able to discern, you may be able to discern what is. And there's that word best or excellent. It rings with us when we say best. And maybe pure, pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And so, you know, this notion of holiness, which delivers happiness, I actually, of course, mean to you, I mean joy. So I mean, holiness is to be aligned with God. And God, it's not happiness like I'm entertained, like that Broadway show was great. Um, you know, holiness and joy means um, you're burning me at the stake and you can turn me over because the side is done. St. Lawrence, right? You know the story of St. Lawrence under, very quickly, 30 seconds or less. Um, the church is under persecution. They come to get him. Uh, they say, we'll be there uh, day after tomorrow to collect all your valuables. He sells everything the church has. The property, the gold, the silver, the vessels, the books. Sells everything, gives all the money to the poor. And then the Roman officials say, turn over, uh, turn over your valuables. And he, his congregation is there and he goes... Here they are, right? He'd given everything to the poor. And of course, for that, they grilled him alive, uh, one side and then the other in a, between a grate. And you know the famous words, I'm done on this side, turn me over. Now here's the thing, true or not, it's the spirit of the day, right? So um, you want to think in that way. The way of holiness means seeking the best life for our life together. And that's done in the way of loving and sifting and touching, right? These three things. So this is basically the Christian life. There's all kinds of ways to talk about the Christian life, but this is one way to talk about it. Loving, sifting, and touching. That's the real meaning or the maybe distilled meaning of these words. Loving, selflessly the way God loves. Sifting, which is um, this, this notion of deep insight, right? Uh, where you can actually tell the difference between good and evil. That's, that's the point of the sifting. So you, you get smart and you, you grow up and you can say, um, this is good and that's not. I spent the day, part of my day yesterday talking with someone whose mother had died. And uh, this person said, the great value of my mother was that she would listen to me and then say to me, if you do this, then that will happen. And then, then the person said, as I grew older, she would say to me, and if you do that, what will happen, right? This is a mother teaching a child to sift, to tell the difference between good and evil, right? 
If you do that, what will happen? So we love, then we sift good and evil, then we touch only good and not evil. And those are the words for depth of insight is the sifting. You're smart enough to tell good from bad, right? And you can see that if you do this, that will happen. The definition of wisdom in the scripture is seeing how the dominoes will fall. The prophets come and they say, if you do that and don't do this, this is what will happen. The Babylonians will overrun you. The Assyrians will show up and teach you what crucifixion is, right? The Romans will sack the temple. Alternately, they say, you know, if you turn back to God, if you read the scriptures, if you observe the Sabbath, if you go to the temple, all will be well, and the Lord, even despite the odds, will save you, right? See? So, so wisdom can tell good and evil and choose good and evil and knows the outcome of good and evil. This is very simple. Here's the thing. This is what people want. The world is utterly dissatisfied, and whether it's true or not, people have the sense that it's spinning down to chaos, right? You can either be part of that or you can be St. Lawrence and sort of say, I know what's valuable and um, come what may, I'm in God's hands. So I'm turning the page. Um, the trouble with all this is, is that you can get what I, you know, in my sassy days, called the Wheaton veneer. This was completely disconcerting to me when I moved here. I didn't know, I mean, I knew a lot about Wheaton because I'd read a lot, but I didn't know, I didn't know that everything was good for everybody all the time. <laughs> I didn't know that everybody I ran into at the, you know, at the grocery store, at, you know, um, you know at, at fourth grade soccer on Saturday morning, especially from other churches, when I'd say I'm Lutheran, they'd be like, I didn't know that everything was great for everybody, except for us apparently, all the time, <laughs> right? Because there was this veneer of if you're a Christian, then you have to, this is a true story. There was a person, Val Gady, I could hear that laugh. So Val Gady actually knows, is integral to this story because Val Gady told me this story, don't you ever tell Val. There was a person in this congregation whom I catechized and liked very much and who one day simply disappeared. And then, two or three years later, Val, you probably didn't remember this, and don't even look the other way. Think about something else. Think about the Bears game. Oh no, don't get depressed. Think about it. Um, so one day, Val comes to me and says, I ran into this person in the grocery store, and it was one of those things where like, you're gonna bang carts and there's no getting out of it. And you know what happened? Um, there's a drug addiction and a divorce and a loss of children, but the answer was, and I was too humiliated to live in Wheaton anymore. Because, you know, in Wheaton, everything is good for everybody all the time, right? See, that's the other side. If everybody's great all the time, then there's no room for people who either A, aren't great, very small percentage of the population, or B, people who are fake and that's great, very large percentage of the population. <laughs> Okay. Now here's going to be the problem. If you who are under 35 give me my birthday wish and stand by the window and drink coffee with each other, 
to lure in all the other under 35s, here's what's going to happen. At some point, they're going to be clever enough to say, A, is everybody okay here all the time? <laughs> or B, they're going to say, you're faking. Or there is the C, Jesus slash Lutheran slash you option. Here it is. Suffering. Nagel, two weeks ago on the front of the bulletin, if God comes first, you're in for some struggle and pain. But as you come to know him more fully, so right, as you grow up in insight, as you learn to tell the difference between right and wrong and see with wisdom where your actions will land you, but you, as you come to know him more fully, for the astonishing God he is, you will come to be grateful for that too. When you enlist with Christ, you get more than you bargained for. If you are quite satisfied with yourself, you know, if everything is good with you all the time, and the way you were managing things, you would be well advised to stay away from Christ. You're really in for something when Christ takes over, when you call him Lord. When you do that, you're on to something solid. So today we give thanks to God for what he has done for us here. And we say, we are yours, Lord. Build us solid to you and use us. Now here's the problem. Um, you're going to be sick. You're going to do stupid stuff. Your kids are going to go off the rail. People are going to die. Um, you're going to, at some point, do things you can't ever believe you were capable of. of. And the suffering um, can be extraordinary in those places. And so what is it that we do with that? This is point five, because um, you know, suffering is everywhere. What are we going to do with that? I, uh, um, I taped this into my little pastor book the first day I was here. Um, the one you take when somebody, you see somebody's dying. Alexander Schmeyman for the life of the world. Here's a man suffering on his bed of pain, and the church comes to him to perform the sacrament of healing. For this man, as for every other person and the whole world, suffering can be the defeat, the way of a complete surrender to darkness, despair, and solitude. It can be dying in a very real sense of the word. And yet it can also be the ultimate victory of a person and of the life, big L, in that person. The church does not come to restore health in this man, simply to replace medicine when medicine has exhausted its own possibilities. The church comes to take this man into the love, the light, and the life of Christ. It comes not merely to comfort him in his sufferings, not to help him, but to make him a martyr a witness to Christ in his very sufferings. A martyr is one who beholds the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, Acts 7.56. A martyr is one for whom God is not another and the last chance to stop the awful pain. God is his very life 
And thus everything in his life comes to God, ascends to the fullness of love. And that, of course, is what you're meant to be and to do. And that's what we're here to do, too. If you think that any of this has been done to pretend like everything is all good all the time, you've completely missed it. But I can direct you to 50 churches that can, within 15 miles that will push you toward that. From prosperity gospel to the wheat and veneer. But if you're interested in have a real life, as Nagel says, being built up solid so that you could be good for something, or to be the way that Paul talks, that you could learn to tell right from wrong and you'd always touch right, and then other people might be brought into the church, and while you're at it, everything in your own church would work really fabulously. Then what you have to do is figure out a way that beauty and suffering can coexist. And of course, the answer to that is the cross. Among my happy things I get to do is, you know, some young man this morning came to me and said, um, I got a new crucifix. Could you bless it before I wear it? That is like, that, it doesn't get better than that, right? So, you know, number five, why would anybody stick around? Well, because suffering is a reality, and you're actually just choosing what kind of suffering you'd like, and frankly, what kind of death you'd like. That was the sermon this morning. Jesus has an end, you have an end. It'd be good if you took his end and not your own. Suffering and beauty can coexist. Suffering and joy can coexist. Suffering and love can coexist. And if you let them coexist, you step across the threshold into a divine life, into heaven, even heaven on earth. And the pagans from uh, Kiev came to Constantinople, and they had a mass for them in Hagia Sophia, and they said... We didn't know if we were in heaven or on earth, right? So when people walk through the door here and see you, they should not see you pretending like everything is okay. They should walk through the door and they should have the sense that the holiness of heaven has come to earth, an earth filled with suffering, but that the divine love and the divine joy of heaven is among you folks. This is why you can't gossip. This is why you can't complain. This is why you need to be long-suffering. This is why you need to be generous. This is why you're not like other places. This is why you need to commit. This is why you can't go to church once in a while, right? This is why all the other things that break the commandments can't be said among you. Because when you break all the commandments, you're just like everybody else. Burn the place down. But... If you can have a beautiful place that's beautiful because it lives in the image of Christ, and you remember that one of the Hebrew words for beauty is the word for when the fire lights the sacrifice on the altar, or if you will, when the bells ring and Jesus descends from heaven and his blood drips from the icon into the chalice, and you set it on the altar and you worship it because that is your life and your salvation. Right? And every knee in heaven, uh, on earth, in heaven, and below the earth says Christ is Lord, right? So why would anybody stick around? They would stick around for that, but you need to make the case. You don't make the case only rationally, you know, the mistake or maybe the method of the last 40 years. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but nobody's rational anymore. <laughs> 
I know very people, very few people who can think from A to C and go through B, right? Think in a straight line. It's not a skill that's um, taught or practiced anymore. Instead, it's about your truth and your emotion and whether you can destroy the other person first. So, you know, why would anybody stick around if they see you suffering? Padre Pio under number five. It's under the cross that one learns to love. And the cross is found in the church and of course on that little guy's neck now. So if you see that, you could genuflect to that cross too. It's under the cross that one learns to love and so that's the reason you go to church. Six, so suffering is the otherworldly way of Jesus, right? Now one, next page. Jesus was broken on the cross. He lived his suffering and death, not as an evil to avoid at all costs, but as a mission to embrace. That right there is the difference. Is church a place where you can avoid evil at all costs and pretend everything is okay? Or is church the place where we embrace our mission. We too are broken. We live with broken bodies, broken hearts, broken or broken spirits. We suffer from broken relationships. How can we live in our brokenness? Jesus invites us to embrace our brokenness. You don't have to pretend. As he embraced the cross and to live it as part of our mission. He asks us not to reject our brokenness as a curse from God. That's not what St. Stephen did, and the heavens were open, he glimpsed the glory of God. It's not what St. Lawrence did, turn me over, I'm done on this side. Not what Polycarp did, bake like bread. Not like St. Bartholomew, who was skinned alive, but if you go to the Sistine Chapel, you can see him grabbing his skin and floating up to Jesus, and he'll put it back on for the resurrection, and it's going to be fabulous, right? He asks us not to reject our brokenness as a curse from God that reminds us of our sinfulness but to accept it and put it under God's blessings for our purification and sanctification. Nagel, there must be a blessing in this for me somehow. Thus our brokenness can become a gateway to a new life. Or you remember um, when Brother Emil was here from Tizay, right? We met right here. This is sort of like, you know, guy walks on air. It was a remarkable night for a range of reasons. But you remember there was a place where he said, divine love is so large that it contain all our sorrow and still, still be joy. Divine love is so large as to contain all our sorrow and still be joy. It's a remarkable kind of thing, right? So, um, you know, your choice is not to, f or your best choice is not to fake. Uh, of course you could choose it, but it's not the best because then the Lord can't have good use of you, and frankly, you'll be miserable all the time. But part of what should happen, and you notice that the readings are beginning to do this now as we move to Advent. You know, you, we can't quite decide in the Gospels whether we should talk about everybody dying or everybody living. That's the tension of Advent. Advent in the earlier days um, probably started in France and was seven or eight weeks long. And so you have this you know, going toward the manger, what's the point of Christmas discussion? You know, one point, of course, is that God takes flesh and lives and dies for us. But another point, of course, is that this same Jesus will come and judge the world. And so in the next few weeks, you have some 
remarkable texts about Jesus speaking about how it's all going to end. And you can, you know, filter that all the way back to standing in front of the glass. So if it all ends today, you know, do you want to be faking like everything is okay? Or would you rather say, whoa, I have been banged up. And, you know, today's a pretty good day or today's a horrible day. But either way, you know, I might be a bum, but I'm the Lord's bum. I've said that about some of you. (laughs) You also have said it about me. (laughs) You must realize that throughout your life, at each step, you'll find the cross as your divine model, your king crucified and crowned with thorns, Jesus. I know without asking that all of you have suffered. This is a guy, I mean, this is a sort of thing like, you read this and you kind of go, this is a guy who's a fabulous pastor. Like he is reading the hearts of his listeners. This was given at a retreat. He's, he's reading the hearts. You know, he, he knows that people who would show up for a retreat are the people who've been damaged and would do anything to get better. I know without asking that all of you have suffered, and you will suffer again. Never look at the cross without Jesus, or I'll just say to you, put a body on those two sticks. If I must bear the cross alone, I renounce it in advance. I do not want to touch the onerous burden with the end of my finger. I'm too weak, too cowardly, too sensitive. It's too hard to suffer. I deserve a hundred times to suffer without you, Jesus, but it is with you, the sermon this morning. Jesus is dead, I'm dead. Jesus is alive, I'm alive. But it is with you, Jesus, that I want to suffer. With you, I accept all the crosses, all of them. Turn me over, I'm done on this side. If you will bear them with me. You can hide yourself. You can make it look as though you are not there as if I'm bearing it all alone, I'll accept that on one condition, that you hide yourself in my heart. Or, more colloquially, that you'll stick with me. Right? I'll go if you'll stick with me. Romans 8, right? Jesus prays for you every day. Romans 8, the Holy Spirit prays for you every day. What's the prayer? That nothing, height, depth, principalities, power, length, breath, time, space, can separate us from the love of Christ. Dying to self in any mortification does not leave your interior spirit drowning in nothingness. This, of course, is always the objection. That if I fall in with you lot, I'll lose everything. My life will be nothing. I won't be popular. Nobody will post about me. Yelp, I'll drop to a star, maybe two, right? The parties, the people, the fun, the nothingness. Empty in substance. In refusing what could be indulged, I'm just going to say to you, because, you know, I should say this once once in a while, right here he's talking about going to church on Sunday, saying your prayers every day, tithing 10% of your income, giving alms to the poor, living in mercy, and acting like Jesus. 
I only did that because I'm an elders meeting lady later and they will say to me, you know, you could be a bit more forward with these sorts of things. So there, was that blunt enough? <laughs> As my lovely wife says to me sometimes, there's a difference between being honest and brutally honest. <laughs> In refusing what could be indulged, we do not disappear. It's not, as, it's not as though without select enjoyments we become ghostly or inhuman. We're not the sum of our enjoyments. On the contrary, a release from a shallow self. I've been thinking about that for two weeks. A release from a shallow self. I mean, kind of the worst thing you could hear at a cocktail party is Jesus coming up with a double martini saying to you, you seem shallow to me. <laughs> Come on, it's an image at least, right? <laughs> on the contrary, a reason from the shallow self takes place in every act of self-denial, a new manner of self-possession. Look, you can die to your old self and you can possess a new self. You can die to the old and rise to the new. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. A deeper passion for God can burn where we might have lit a brief flame and soon turn dark in our soul. You go it alone, your enjoyments will turn dark. You go it with Jesus, Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the light no darkness can overcome. On and on and on and on it goes. So, right? If there is any encouragement in Christ, where do you get encouragement? In Christ. Any comfort, where do you get that? From love. Any participation in the Spirit, koinonia, the community, but especially the Lord's Supper. Any affection, this is being pitying other people, merciful toward any people. Any sympathy, right? Complete my joy, the word for gift and thanks and grace all tied together in the kara words like Eucharist. Be of the same mind, we talked about this, this is how we think and discern. Having the same love, now we've got two of the elements of being the best we can be, in full accord, agree with yourself and try to get your voters meetings over in under eight minutes, and live with one mind. You think I'm kidding you? I'm not, right? I've told you, you know, my favorite story for young guys. I told the story here too, right? I have a friend who at his very first, at his very first voters meeting, people were throwing chairs at each other. I've told you this story. It's the very first story I tell here. I always tell it because I always then say, I'm glad I'm serving in a congregation where they don't throw chairs. Because why? Double stigma for the first idiot who throws a chair at somebody else here, right? You have to disagree with Jesus and your new pastor. Nobody does it, at least not for a year or two. Then gloves are off. Anyway, um, despite the suffering in the world, this is point 10. Here we are with Christ. This mark of paraclesis, encouragement. Remember the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, the one who encourages us, the advocate, the one who bumps us forward and clears our way and you know, tells other people good things about us. This soothing, this way of soothing other people, it's actually the word for when somebody has lost someone they love, a child or a spouse, and you sit in their ear and you pray for them when they can't pray and you read scripture when they can't read scripture and you weep with them because they're weeping and you tell them that you'll never leave them and always work with them. 
That's what that word is. You know, the way of soothing people. And then I've given you, you know, these other ones, koinonia and splachna. You know, this kind of um, church is meant to be the normal way of church. And I'll, I'll leave it to you because I can become harsh and jaded when I think about this. But, you know, this is the church I always wanted to belong to. And this is the church I could never find. But the weird thing is, is that I'm not kind of special in any way. This is the church that everybody wants to belong to. This is the church that everybody wants to find. And that's the reason if you're under 35, you should give me my way and stand by the window with coffee, right? (laughs) This is the normal way of life, verse 11, at least the normal way of life in the church. And anything else is abnormal. And everybody wants to be part of it. People in the early church, you know, See how they love one another is what pagans would say about the early church. And then in Acts 2, they have this rhythm where they sell everything and make sure everybody's got enough and they even heal and pray for and give money to other tribes. That's a weird thing. Imagine if coming into the midterms, the Republicans would have um, given money to the Democrats as a gesture of goodwill. And the Democrats would have returned the favor, but times two. And then we could see what happens next. You aren't laughing at all. You people, go to the Eucharist. That's all I can say to you. Because, point 12, what's supposed to be happening here is that you're thinking and loving, deciding and choosing as one. And so that brings you to 13. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. So don't think about yourself all the time. Or not out of vain conceit. That means don't think about yourself all the time. But rather in humility, this is the way of Jesus. Value, that's the word hegemony, right, for us the thing that that is most independent, the thing that's most important, value others above yourself. That's how the world goes round. Um, We gotta go, I wish I could someday finish a lesson, but if I did, it would mean I didn't prepare enough. So, off we go, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, I'll see you back on Advent 1.